brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by American Yogi. In a world increasingly driven toward the grind, find your outlet for peace. American Yogi is a mindfulness-based apparel and wellness brand with international retreats, free classes, and rad clothing and accessories to support you along life's journey. Find American Yogi on Instagram at liveamericanyogi or at americanyogi.com. American Yogi is proud to support the Brass and Unity podcast and its community with the code BRASS15. Join the mindful counterculture. Live American Yogi. Hello, everyone. This week's episode is going to be a little different than usual. I have been blessed by a weird connection to be in contact with the woman sitting in front of me. Christine Gauthier is someone that I admire for her strength and her ability to stand up and talk about the things that no one wants to talk about. She is and has always been somebody willing to serve her country. She has served for many decades as an artillery woman. She also competed in the 2016 Rio... Say again, one, one decade. decade, 10 years, 10 years. Oh, my apologies. She had <laughs> served for one decade because as if one decade is not enough. So you also competed in the 2016 Rio de Janeiro. Uh, you were a Paralympian and you also competed in Invictus. Along that list, you've also done some incredible things in the community by having the ovaries, if we will, to speak out against something that is happening in Canada under the cloak of darkness with no one realizing it. You, my dear, are one of the whistleblowers who has stood up against the current administration because you were offered medical assisted in dying instead of treatment through Veterans Affairs. I wanted to sit and talk with you today because we are losing people no longer at 22 a day. We are now up to 44 a day, and that still is not raising the alarms. I often wonder what's going to raise the alarm. And then you and another individual walked into my life and I realized we don't need an alarm. We need a fucking speaker system across this country and this nation and every other nation that is listening 
we need you to pay attention to what our government is choosing to do with its mentally ill and dis and, and any patient who has any sort of disability instead of offering them support and help to become a productive part of society the government is giving up on our veterans and is now offering them medical assisted in dying so i'm sorry how we had to meet but i am blessed and grateful that we have met so thank you for being on the show honey thank you kelsey so am i let's get right into this um let's let's start from the beginning you, you joined the military in what year 1988 in 88 and if you are listening from america which most of you are that's a french accent so her <laughs> and i have something in common i promise you we won't break into full blown uh french language because mine is atrocious but what i will tell you is you served alongside um artillery you were an artillery woman you you did the job you did the, the front lines job you did what most people don't get the opportunity to do in their life and that is you know sling rounds down range and and really be there for others in a way that most people don't and that's what's amazing about you is you didn't sit back on the you know at any point and say i'm gonna do any sort of other job. I'm not going to push paper. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to show up. I'm going to be there. I'm going to lift these rounds. I'm going to huck them down range and I'm going to let people know that I've got their back. And that's why hearing your story was so troubling to me. So you joined, you went into artillery. What happened? Why did you end up in a wheelchair? What happened there? I'd like to say also, um, it, it's, it's, another uh, maybe trend of my personal person i'm always somehow i'm always into the first of everything <laughs> i was in the first group uh, of women to enter combat arms in fact so we were the, the first ones there was three of us in uh, in basic school and then seven of us in the first artillery class and we were supposed to be making a trial trial test for one year to see if if it would work for women to be able to be allowed and admitted in combat arms so I was in that first group of women um, ah how did that feel for pressure way. yeah you were paving the way but I mean the pressure yeah. to be able to uphold the position that must have been intense yes it was and we've been through many uh many things uh the hard way it was it was hard the whole time the whole way and very happy I had the opportunity to do it and glad it worked out. Um, but yeah, it was it's funny how this has started up. Um, un unfortunately, very early on, already in bio school during a training uh, training exercise on the obstacle course, uh, we had to jump into a, a six foot trench. And as I landed in the bottom of the rocks, and my my knees went out of joint, and so I. That was my initial injury. Um, so I, I was postponed the next course after to finish, but um, that was in 19, like late 88, early 89. So for two years after, like I only been uh, on, on the light duty for finishing my class and then went on with this. And as I kept training through the years, uh, it just kept, getting worse. There were also, unfortunately, initial um, little, little like stress fractures in the spine that they were un 
overlooked, not, not in, checked into. Every time I would say my knees hurt or my back hurt, they would say, well, it comes from the knees and, and so on. So um, from 91 to 94, they did eight surgeries in my knees. And unfortunately, it just went downhill from there. When you say it went downhill, how does something go so unchecked and so missed? I mean, spurs in the spine, it doesn't take much. It takes one microfragment to uh, hit the spinal cord and, and cause significant damage. So at what point did you start to, you know, see the repercussions? Was it right after the surgery started? Yes. Well, Unfortunately, you know, at that time, Kelsey, we didn't have the, the luxury. We, didn't, we were not allowed to go and seek civilian uh, second opinions. We didn't have medical art from civilian. We were, it was mandatory for us to just have the military um, examine the doctor's appointments. So when they, uh, when they were checking, they weren't even checking my back. Every time I said I brought it up as my back was hurting it was just always well it comes from your knees because it it runs up your knees and it hurts in there so i mean that was very relevant but same with the surgeries unfortunately there were bad decisions made along the way where they did one knee um the first knee in 91 it was going very well in my rehab the first time, and then it was going so well that, in fact, four months later, they wanted to do the second knee, so they did the right knee, but instead of allowing me to have the six-week sick leave that the surgeon had prescribed, my CEO decided that two weeks after, I'd go back to work. So my entire surgery on the left side completely ripped out a piece. Oh. So that created the... <laughs> the first ball rolling or the second, if I may say, that I had to go back for emergency surgery into the first knee because everything had ripped. I kept telling him, I kept going in and saying, okay, this is really, really hurting. And they were like, no, it's just normal, like after surgery pain. And it was like, no, like I've had the pain leading to this. I had the pain from the surgery. This is like the second one. I'm telling you it's not normal. Suddenly, because I just kept nagging, probably they decided, okay, fine, we'll do a test. And I was in uh, Shiloh, Manitoba at the time. And uh, I remember they calling me at like eight o'clock at night, stating, you cannot stand on your leg no more. Do not stand on your leg. And yep. I'm like, well, I've been telling you for weeks, like, what is the problem now? And they're like, it had ripped a piece of bone and it was cutting my 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 ligament in the back and they said if it rips completely that's it you're not walking anymore at all so i had to be rushed like they transported me from from brandon manitoba where i lived uh, to winnipeg for an emergency flight back to ndmc in ottawa to get another surgery done on the first like on the left knee um so yeah it was uh, it was rock and roll from the start Oh my goodness. The one surgery alone. I mean, I don't know for any of the listeners who are, have never had knee problems or knee surgery, their recovery is painful, but it should never be to the point. I mean, if you're doing a full blown knee replacement, that's one thing, but you know, working on ligaments and, and things like that. I mean, I know individuals who come out of ACL and MCL surgeries who don't use pain meds. I mean, I was not that person during mine. So there's a level of pain that's kind of expected after a surgery like that, but uh, to the extent in which they left you and didn't listen to you, which seems to be the trend, 
which seems yes. to be the starting of the bullshit in the trend, which is that when a service member comes forward with any sort of injury, whether it's physical or psychological, and uh, let me preface the rest of this by saying, yes, I am very aware that the Canadian Armed Forces is doing a better job now. Yes, I am aware that they are trying to implement a significant amount of change, whether it's with the sexual assault or whether it's with mental health or whether it's with making sure that service members are being looked after when they leave. But this was not the case when you were in. No, exactly. Uh, we have to, and I, I accept that too. I mean, we have to go back in the time it was and, and you know, if history has any purpose and it is to be that, that it, it's, it's used as learning. Right. Okay. I'd rather it would not have happened to me, but it did. And I can't, I can't keep on living into that time and, and, and problems that, that were, I'm trying to go forward, but you know, yeah. uh, as much as I'd like to say that I probably have a, a hell of a nasty fucking karma. <laughs> it can't explain all of that. You know, no. it can't uh, it can't explain all this these these uh not incident but misjudgments, errors, mistakes, yeah. everything all the time. Uh, yeah, I, well, yeah, I wanna no. I, I, <laughs> Well, the thing that's, I, I interviewed a doctor recently named Dr. John Deloney. His episode is out tomorrow. And he said to me, and I loved this, and it, it, this is completely applicable to any sort of past when we're talking about the past. You know, you you cannot go and change sentences that already have periods at the end of them, right? You can't go back and fix them. So the least we can do is learn for them from them. And this is why it's important to, to look at the trajectory and the path that you went down to see how we got to where we got to. So first we go from... Number one, you paved the way for women like me to be even allowed to go and do the job that I loved so deeply. You paved the way by putting your body and your mind on the line for every other woman that wanted to stand up for her country in Canada. So you started off with the right intention and you were quite literally putting your body on the line for us. So you did this, you, you do everything you're told, you go into the surgeries, you expect to be getting better. And then they do this last emergency surgery. What happens after you wake up after the surgery? Well, I had mentioned it as well, like to the surgeon, how, because uh, he, he had wondered how has this happened? And I told, well, I was supposed to, you had given me six weeks of leave. Uh, after two weeks, I'm returned back to, to work, even though it was like duty, it pulled everything out. So he, there's even a letter on this, like, <laughs> I even have a report from him stating, you know, uh, when CEO takes these decisions over the surgeon's prescript yeah. uh, time, well, you got to be sure that you have your grounds. And unfortunately, CEOs had that power mm -hmm. of not taking in consideration what the doctors and surgeons will say. So, you know, nothing had come out of that, unfortunately, on the except that I got just like permanently yeah. injured and uh so after those there were like the five other surgeries to remove the the, the the staples and it unfortunately caused a lot of um like i said uh, in the back as well it, it caused a degenerated um the de a degenerative death. Yeah. yeah so 
I like now I have a, a incomplete spinal cord injury from it as well, just from everything all all being out of sync and not being looked at in time in in due time. And so since then, uh, I got released in 1998, and uh, from '96 on, it was like less and less being able to walk. I had to go back to um, a rehab center. I spent many months in rehab center trying to learn again, to try to to sustain everything. Unfortunately, it did not work and my condition just worsened from that day on. And so I have had the spine, spinal surgery in 2013 in the lower back. I added spinal in the the cervical mm-hmm. spine in 2019 and i'm actually see, seeing my surgeon again the next week um because he seems to have to have to do like every level of my spine well here's the beautiful thing about where you're at in your healing technology has advanced so significantly that now and in the next handful of years neurolink will be available have mm-hmm. you seen what they're doing with neurolink with spinal cord injuries no, I'm not sure. I, I know oh Neuro, my Neuralink. Neuralink. So Elon Musk, you know, with all his side gigs, because most people can't run a single company. He's just populating Mars, making us drive some of the coolest cars in the world and then running Twitter and now creating technology that goes into the brain. And they're now starting human trials. And what they've been able to do is take individual, um, they were using monkeys at the beginning. And what they were doing was uh, with set, with spinal cord injuries, what they would do is they place the electrodes in the brain. It's very small, tiny little wires that go. And then they were attaching, I think they were attaching it, uh, a sensor below, if I'm not mistaken for you guys who do know more about this, feel free to yell at me in the comments. But the, oh, the roundabout is you attach a sensor at the top and at the bottom, one below the spinal cord injury, one at the top, and it talks. So the spinal cord is no longer necessary in order to make the legs move. And it's gone into human trials and it will be available in the next, you know, five to 10 years for people who have spinal cord injuries and things like Alzheimer's and dementia to be able to help people live better. So the beautiful thing is you stuck around long enough for us to come up with a solution to fix the problems that the Canadian Armed Forces caused with you, which is at least the hope in my, mm. you know, in my positivity, in my way of thinking, there are things coming. But the tragic side of all of this is this was all completely preventable. That's the thing yes. that gets me. Yes, I, I think so. I think also that it, it, it could have been prevented. Of course. Like I say, I want to put, you know, I, I want to put part of the blame on, like I say, having a bad fucking karma and being unlucky in in life in general, or I must have been a hell of a mean freaking person in my previous lives, because it's not in this one for sure. Right. But it's so, you know, I, I mean, nobody pushed me. I had to jump in this whole voluntarily being my obstacle course training and you know, why didn't it happen to the 20 other ones that were there? Well, after I went in, like they cleaned out the rocks, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you were meant for something bigger though. And I feel like uh, if, if that injury didn't happen to you, you might not have gone down the path that you went down and we might not be in this position right now. 
And sometimes we don't always know why we are in the positions we're currently in or why we had to go through what we had to to get there. But right now, in this pivotal moment in 2022, you are sitting in a position that no other veteran is willing to speak about. And we know that there are others that have been offered this. And before we get into that, I want to keep going. But we are all put on a path for a reason we don't fully understand. And I'm starting to see your path un unravel in front of us. How do you go from the injuries and being told this is what's going to happen to release? How do you then jump into things like being a Paralympian? How does that come about? Where, where did that come from? It, um, before I go in this, Chelsea, if you want to have the whole story, let's do the whole story. Let's do it. So I, I come from a middle-class family, I'll say. My father was a uh, police officer. My mother was a baker for a big uh, grocery chain. I had four, four sisters. Uh, we had a good life until my parents got divorced at 10 years old. I went and lived with my father at that time. And um, unfortunately, I, there was somebody in the, around the family. So I, I was actually abused when I was between 12 and 14. And then my father going through divorce and going from bad women to worse women. Um, and not, not my mother not being the bad one, but the ones afterwards being the worst to worse. Uh, drinking heavily, he started being me, beating me up very severely. So between the age of 12 and 14, I was not saying daily, but almost daily severely beaten and um, sexually abused. And I... Until one day, I decided that this couldn't go on, and I asked to go back to my mother and sisters. And then my father pointed his gun to my face, and and said that if I moved, he'd shoot me. So he called himself the police to say, uh, to say that the. Uh, what was the situation that I didn't want to stay there anymore? And that uh, they, they better come and get me. So the police came, got me out of there. Unfortunately, uh, my father would not just accept that I go and live with my mother. So I was placed in foster care for a few months before it could be resolved, which was not very pleasant either. But when I finally remet with my mother and sisters, at 15, I decided that uh, never again would anybody would take advantage of me in any shape, form, or way, ever again. So I, I wanted to be a police officer to do good and to make sure and help and prevent that no one, I would never witness anyone having to go through any of this either. I knew every single time all of this happened that I did not deserve this 
And I was not responsible for any of this. And as you've just mentioned now, that I've heard that Kelsey so many times telling people, telling me, you know, nothing happens for no reason. And I swear to God, I was telling people who know me, I was telling the next one to fucking tell me this, I'm decking them. <laughs> I can't, I can't hear this anymore. Well, well, like I'm telling you, everything seemed to be so fucking hard, complicated, problematic. Why was everything happening being so not dramatic? Because I don't want to call it dramatic, but it was in many ways. Yeah. So as I wanted to get, you know, I started at 15 years old, I started working full time, staying in school because I knew that it was important for me to get at least high school. And then I was gonna try to join the, the, the police force, but I was just 17 at the time. So it was, oh, you need to get more life experience. So decided to apply in the army thinking this will be good life experience and, and the program was in so i joined the army at 18 years and 13 days because when i applied at 17 before i got until i got accepted my mother yeah whatever you know you want to go so she signed the papers but when i was accepted she didn't want me to go anymore but i had just turned 18 so she couldn't mm -hmm. say she couldn't say no and she couldn't deprive me from going it was as i had turned just 18 i went so again you know with this new program that was offered it was supposed to be a one-year trial then we were supposed to get our uh, our choice of trades then turn out that way when time came for that it was like oh no you signed for you signed for three years you're gonna have to stay three years so it was like, oh man, okay. And by then it was like, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that it was not routine work, that we touched mechanic, we touched many other things. So it was enjoyable. Because of my past, knowing I'm going in the army where there's no other women, there's just the seven of us to start with. I knew it was gonna be hard. I've, I've, I've created, I would say, out of protection, a very lonely, forced lonely career, if I could say. Because ran right off the bat, as soon as somebody would come and try to put a hand on my shoulder and talk to me, right away I would tell them to fuck off, don't touch me. So, you know, it took everyone by surprise going, why are you so, so resilient? You know, I'm just saying hello. Well, say hello by saying hello you don't need to be touching me right because i knew that one day it starts right here on the shoulder and the next day you know then it will go in the middle of the back and then eventually it will just end up on your ass so i decided you know right off the bat no we put an end to this right away and so i have created a lonely secure career so i have to say i have to admit that while in the army I have not had any of assault or problems or anything like this because I have put myself in such a restrained cocoon 
-hmm. didn't let anybody in, mm -hmm. but it worked for my protection. Right. I'm not saying, you know, it's the army. It's supposed to be hard. It was hard. Did I have stupid comments? Did I have some people trying to come and trying to get me in, in position? Yes, but I didn't drink. I didn't go to the mass. I didn't, you know, mm -hmm. like I said, I have created myself a a tight, tight a safety lonely. net. Yes, but that's how I could best that's what I thought would be best for not putting me in dangerous situations that I couldn't control. Right. Excuse me. So that, that is how you wanted the beginning. Mm -hmm. I think that for answering what you were saying before, that we are meant for something. As everything has happened from December 1st, I'm starting to see that, wow, was that really all this, all this hard shit, all these trouble, all these to lead to this? I don't know if it had been necessary. Hopefully that it will be for good use. But that's why I have been so tough. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you have to spend two years, at, between 12 and 14, you spend two years restless of every everyone else's move because you, you, uh, you learn to get uh, tough and I only have myself to rely on for those two years, so. Well, no one was coming but to it, save it, you and you knew it. Excuse me? No one was coming to save you and you no. knew that. No, I mean, you know, there's people, they were some of my friends' parents that were seeing me go to school. They were appalled. They wanted to do something. But like I say, back then, my father was a police officer. They were. Again, yeah. it might be different today, but they didn't turn on each other back then as well. And I wanted to try to change what I was living by the inside if I could have. Mm -hmm. I believe in goodness. I believe in the good of people. And I just didn't want this to never happen to anyone else that I could be witnesses of or help. So. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm so sorry that those adults couldn't do what they needed to do to protect you in that time. It's heartbreaking. But that, led, that I think led to being able to, uh, to, to still fight, to try to make sure that good prevail out of everything. And... Mm-hmm. That way nothing happens without a purpose, right? And, and everything that happened to you, you couldn't let it just happen in vain. You needed to do something with it. You needed to use it and you needed to not allow it to be the thing that defined you. And 
it doesn't define you and it never has. I'm just, when I hear people talk about trauma like that, when they're young, I always say, where was the parents? And obviously in your case, and like most cases, it comes from the parents. And that's what the most heartbreaking thing is to me is no excuses. And at any point, will no excuse justify what your father did, nor the positions he put you in. I'm sure being a police officer that came with its own, its own baggage, its own trauma. Yet he just didn't have what it took to, to heal himself. Instead, he, he took it out on you, which is the most appalling, if anything, I'm, I'm truly and deeply sorry. I, I, I can see why you were able to make it through everything you've made it through though. You, you've done a, a really, really great job of, of being there for yourself when no one else was. And if anything, that shows the resiliency that you have in your humanity and in your soul, most people would have collapsed under that pressure, that weight of that trauma, but you were able to keep moving. And instead of saying, this is my life and I'm, you know, this, I'm going to go down the gutter with everything that happened to me. You took that and you moved it forward so that no one else would feel those things again. I, I wonder, I don't think you would have joined the military if this was the case. It seems like this wasn't the path that you were aiming to go down, but yet this is the path that you're on. And with all of this happening to you and 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 everything else and then having the government prey on you again as if you had no support or no recourse or no way out of this is it's even more infuriating knowing a little more about your backstory it's it's even more disgusting so often we expect the government to come in and step in and help us or help people in the communities and what we have to realize is that no one is coming to save us they're not coming to save us. We have to be able to rely on the people to the left and the right, or even ourselves to know that we can be there to protect ourselves. You know, I was listening to this morning. Um, there's a video that's out right now, and it's a, of a 911 phone call with a girl who has been terribly beaten by her significant other. And he was back and doing it again. And on 911, the dispatcher said, can you leave? And she said, no. Can you call someone else for help? They said, I don't have someone I can send to help you. He had put her in the hospital the week before, but he was back and no one could come and stop this again. And they said, can you call your neighbors? And she said, he smashed my phone. I have no phone numbers to call. I have no one to call, but you. And they said, there's nothing we can do for you. You can come in tomorrow to the police department, the police department and make a statement. She's lucky if she probably survived to that. No one is coming to save us and we need to stop acting as if they are. No one is going to hold their hand out for you. And if they are, there's an ulterior motive, especially if it comes from the government. We've seen it time and time and time and time again. They don't do, they don't just help you for nothing. That's not how this works. And you were able to realize that at a very young age and your innocence was lost at a very young age because of it. When you decided to join the military and you were going through all of these processes, not to get, well, we're personal, so let's go there. Have you spoken to your father since you were in the military? Are you, do you keep in touch? Did you keep in touch? I, I had not seen him for 10 years. 
And then one day, I don't know why I was in Manitoba, then I phoned him up one day. We know, I was, I had just told him it was me on the phone. We, none of us could have spoken. Mm. I just hung up and I said, one day when I'm back in Quebec, we'll see what happens with this. So I, I, I did 10 years later, saw him again. Um, we did go over mm-hmm. what he had made me live through. Um, as I say, not making any excuses, but going back in the days that it was in 1982 and, and so on. Um, the fact that he was heavily drinking under the influence of the fucking wicked witch mm-hmm. that was turning him and and leading him to do this each time every morning he'd wake up and see what he had done to me he was devastated but yet again he would drink again the next day and do it again mm-hmm. so uh, like i told him i i never would be able to really forgive what he has done but I had to move on. I had to, to to keep going and move on from that. And uh, so he, he passed away since he died in 2006. It was always a little, uh, a little hard. Like mm-hmm. it took me a very long time before I could stay, uh, stay over and, mm-hmm. but, I, I had, like I say, we had made peace, if we can say, mm-hmm. and decided that I move on, but he had admitted to his wrongdoing too. And I'd like to say that um, I find also that through everything that happened, fortunately enough, I've have had people, I realize, this this week again with everything happening again, if I look back, I realize that there always has been through every hard period someone to reach out and help. But you're you're right. Well, when you say Kelsey, it never was who we're supposed to be there. It's never have been an organization or the 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 government or you know, even when it was a DPG at the time, you know, nothing had resolved from this. They put me for foster care for a few months until my mother got my, my custody again. How was never any of this investigated and hmm. and treated? You know, it was just left to, to it. Because it was but a police officer. That's why. Maybe also, but... Marie, but I, mean... I have to say that through everything, there was always somehow a good-hearted person, a person, not a group, not an organization, not a government, but someone, a person to help me through that time that I needed the help to be able to move on. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, surely, without these amazing individuals at times 
surely I would not have been able to pull through this on my own. That's for sure. We're not meant to do things on our on our own. We're human beings. And unfortunately, whether we like it or not, biology dictates some of our behavior and what we feel and what we need. And that what we need is a community. We need people around us. We don't need a government to hold our hands. We need community of people who will show up in the middle of the night, who will be there when your kids need it, who will be there through the hard times. And that that's the biggest thing that our society is lacking. People think that you can just get on a computer or you can be on a phone and you can text someone and that means that you're there. It doesn't mean you're there. It yeah. means that your electronic presence is there and we accept this communication as if it is the thing that we should be doing and moving toward that technology is here to unite the world when really technology is creating the loneliest place in the world to be. And that is right now, we are in an epidemic of loneliness. Society has not grown closer. Society has come closer in terms of being able to communicate with the other side of the world. But if anything, we have lost ourselves in this. We have lost ourselves in this, this new way of, of accepting what is next. And it doesn't work. We've seen it. Suicides are on the rise. People are alone. People feel like there's no way out. People feel like there's no way forward. You need individuals, even if it's one or two, it doesn't need to be much, but you need to have people around you that are gonna show up when you need it, that are gonna answer the phone, that when something goes wrong, they will be there for you. You need to cultivate even just a handful of these individuals because we are not supposed to be doing this alone. We need to stop acting as if we should be. Like it's the answer. It's not. It's never been. It never will be. We need each other, period. There's nothing more than that. And so in moving forward in your life, you've been able to realize that because you know, you have hindsight, you can connect the dots backwards and say, hey, there was this person, there was this, there was that. But as you move forward down this path in your life, sometimes you get so hyper-focused in on the problems that we can't see the good things that are happening around us. That's also what technology has done. It has shown us that we need to be hyper-focused on a box. But if we just took two and a half seconds to look up from that screen and look around at the world around us, it's not all that bad. It's not all that dark. Sure, do not get me wrong. There's horrific things happening in the world every minute of every single day. But when you absorb and suck yourself into these screens and believe everything that you read, of course, we're going to be a depressed society. Of course, we're going to be struggling. Of course, people are going to feel alone. These boxes are all we care about. We need to put them down and pick up the phone and call someone. We have technology now, which blows my mind. My son will be like, mommy, let's FaceTime someone. I'm sorry. When I was alive, it was a cord on a phone. You had to have the world's longest cord to walk around the corner to have a private conversation. We should be utilizing the technology in a positive manner to connect with one another, not to, not to sit there and stare and scroll on fucking TikTok like the Chinese government want us to. We need to start acting differently and start stepping up and protecting human minds. Humans need touch. We do. I'm sorry. We need to hug. COVID people are afraid of hugging. I'm sorry. 
I'm so sorry if you throughout COVID, if you're listening to this, have developed anxiety of being, about being around others. That was by design. They don't, people do not want you to realize that you need others. Because if you realize that you actually need others, you realize that once you're together with others, that you're so much more and more powerful. But if they can divide individuals, keep them on screens and make them anxious to hug another human being, that's when things can be manipulated and controlled and your attitude and your behavior can be changed. If you're listening to this, go fucking hug someone. I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm as de I'm deadly serious. Hug someone. Don't just hug them, hold them because people need each other. So it drives me nuts to hear that you were basically left alone to deal with this on your own as a child, because I being a mother now want to reach through this screen and, and literally hold you because you need a fucking hug. You need a hug from the soul in your depths to know that you are so loved. And I know, you know that, but everyone needs a fucking hug now. Yes, they just I need am, a moment. I agree. No, but that's why I wanted to point out that luckily looking back, they were always at some point when it was the hardest, someone coming came along and there was someone to help me and pull me out. Yeah. You know, call it the inner God if you want, or call it the goodness of heart and a person. Mm -hmm. It happened. And I'm grateful, I'm grateful that it that that it did to these people. You know, and as as we keep move on, you know, same thing. In '91, I went to uh, Cyprus, uh, Golan Heights. I was sent in Israel for six months during the Gulf War. So we were not supposed, you know, as I was getting prepared to live to leave, it was like, uh, okay, but it's gonna be dangerous. No, we're, you know, we're going to Israel. We're not going in in Iraq. Mm -hmm. We're not gonna be where it's supposed to to hit or, but it did. We had like I think the count was over 28 missiles falling in, in Israel. We had to go and take a shelter and in, in the um, bunkers. We, I mean, I had I had the runs to make to Tel Aviv. I had to swallow pills before I went to each run just in case there was a, a biological agent falling in a missile. Uh, we had the Arthropins mm -hmm. injections in case. Um, you know, it was it was really uh, really hardcore for the time being. Um, and seeing as I was spending a lot of time through Syria, seeing all these families that from their previous wars living in these bombarded buildings, all cramped up. And you're seeing from the street, you see this family sharing this meal in this bombarded, opened up wall from a bomb that had exploded there before. As I was going in there, I was getting my, my mother was sending me these uh, care packages and I, I had like chip chocolates and I bring this to a kid and seeing this one kid running off to his family to share it with instead of hiding mm -hmm. in a corner to shove it up 
on his own, that really changed me a lot. Like I said, you know, before, before my 10th year old, we were really happy. We had, um, we, I would say we, we had a middle-class family. So we were blessed with, you know, a, a house, a pool. Uh, we had clo new clothing every year, even though I had four sisters. We never had to wear the, the worn down from my sisters. We were getting each of us new clothing each year, um, you know, and yeah, you, you get selfish when you are brought up with, with so much. Mm -hmm. That really changed me to become less material. I, I don't need any of any of this equipment. Yeah. And that was from the time, you know, in Israel and Syria, I became a lot more, even more, if it was possible, even more aware of people's needs and the deserve the deserveness the people. Mm -hmm. All you need is that the support of the others and being with the others has to see how they could still be so happy in this blown up building and and still remain a family through this hardship. Man, we are blessed to be in Canada and people have no clue of it. No. And and I agree, as I am not a a computer social media user, I I also find that it is a good advancement in, in science and in possibility to yes, be able today during wartime still, maybe not today, but to be able for you people believing this crisis in Ukraine right now to have news and seeing. Mm -hmm. their their loved ones there it is it is grand but there are so so much bad created from it as well mm -hmm. well yeah it, it, it turns me around yeah it's uh you know it's like any other technology in the world right it can be used for good it can be used for evil you can choose to use it for positive or you can choose to use it to demise and break people who who watch it and who use it. I mean, the thing that gets me is, and, and you're so right about this. Um, I told a story and I won't retell it because you guys have heard it before, but you know, there's something about people who come from a war-torn country who have lived through serious, serious trauma, things that they cannot control, bombs going down around them. Like you said, being in Afghanistan, when you would go by these mud hut, we call them compounds, but they're just like mud walls, right? They're not, and there's like a sheet for the door. And these people will have no food, no, no, nothing, no running water, but they will, when you show up, I mean, if you're not kicking doors in, if you give them the time of day, they would sit down with you and they would feed you and give you whatever they had to give because they see humans as something different they understand how quickly life can be taken. They, they know the tragedy of what war is at the core. And yet somehow they're the most loving people. And there's they're, the kindness that they, they have in their hearts 
when you would think it would be the opposite, right? And of course, don't get me wrong, there's the extremist version where they no care for human life. And but those are the people you're fighting. You're not fighting the civilians that happen to be the, you know, just the collateral damage of, tr uh, and that's what happens is you have these beautiful families, these innocents, the innocence that will never, ever, ever be there again. These children that you saw that were being fed in this blown up building for a moment of peace, they were sitting and they were eating together because if only that might be the moment they have left together, that could be it. That could be the last time that they get to share a meal together. And they cherish that. What you gave them, they cherish that. That was something they probably, oh my God, I think of Syria and, and the Gulf War. And it's like the, what you gave them was such a small thing to all of the Western countries, but to them, it was everything. And for some reason in Canada, we have lost touch in America, we have lost touch of what it means to be safe, of what it means to have real things happen, of what it means to have somebody kick your fucking door in, in the middle of the night and take your husband or your family and say, you're never seeing them again. People have forgotten that we're not untouchable. I think the thing that, that troubles me the most though, otherwise the children not understanding you know, what Pearl Harbor is or what 9-11 was or the younger generation understanding even what Afghanistan was and Iraq. You've got people, you've got people who you thought, you know, uphold the law and the safety and the, what it means to be an American or a Canadian. You have these people who you trusted to help, to be there. And yet these are the people that are turning on us. So when you people say, you know, Canada's a really great country, it sure is, but lift up the hood and let's find out what's really going on in Canada because yes. nobody seems to be paying attention. And that's- I, I, I'm, I'm like you on this, Kelsey. I'm, I'm shocked to see that, how is everybody not seeing what's going on? I mean, seriously, well, it's right in front of us. They're not even hiding it. And well, people because are not reacting. You hide in plain sight, right? That's how this works. It's why so many armies are so successful and why we're fighting the same wars that the Russians and everyone else have been fighting. You hide in plain sight. You make it so that it's not different. Everyone's heard me scream about the, the frog in the hot water theory. You know, that boiling, you boil until you boil alive. It's a slow drip. It's such a slow drip that you real you don't realize it until all of a sudden you go, I'm at Checkpoint Charlie. I don't have a passport anymore. I can't leave the country. I can't leave the province. I can't get on a plane, train, or bus. And you go, but the rest of the world can. But I live in Canada. What do you mean I can't leave the country? What do you mean I can't leave the province? What, wait, what are you talking about? I can't go into a grocery store? Wait, hold on. Is this Canada still? Or is this some weird draconian country that has fallen into this hands of a dictator who, for some reason, parts of Canada are still voting for? And then you realize, oh, COVID was a beautiful moment for them to take control of the only media outlets that we have. And now we all know that they're paid by them because they've accepted their bailouts. 
We now all know that CTV and Global and CBC, pretty much everybody except for Rebel News is being run by the current administration. Listen, if you're listening to this and you're like, you just hate Trudeau, you should fucking leave the country. If you don't like Canada that much, then fucking leave. You know what? Fuck you. Because I've done this and I get so much hate about that. I get everyone saying, Kelsey, you bitch so much about Canada. Why don't you just fucking leave? Let me be very, very, very honest and straight with you. I love Canada. I know Canada. I fought for Canada. I'm proud as hell to be a Canadian. But I do not, do not accept what is happening to my country. I do not accept what is happening to my service members, my brothers and my sisters. I do not accept what our current government is doing to the civilian population and the mentally ill of Canada. I refuse to sit there and say that the way to deal with people who are struggling with mental health from the ages of 18 and up and 12 year old with parent consent by offering them an, a way out. I don't accept it. I do not accept that suicide is the fucking answer. I refuse to sit here and say, well, MADE is a great program. It is not, it is disgusting. That program should be utilized specifically and only for incredibly, incredibly terminally ill patients who have had a psych eval, who have had family support, who have had consults with doctors. I do not accept Simon's the department store utilizing assisted suicide to sell its products. I do not accept that the Canadian fashion world is accepting Simon's doing this. I do not accept that we are teaching this shit in schools and we are advertising it on TV so that younger kids who are the most impressionable should be most protected are being shown that you can have an out if you have depression. I do not accept this way of Canada, but I will not leave this place because I love it too much. And I will not abandon those behind me to say, oh, sorry, I'm living in America now. So you guys can all just like die, right? Like I do not accept that shit. And none of us, not a single one. I don't care if you love Trudeau. I don't care if you love Pierre. I don't care if you love literally anything else than what's going on in our administration. I do not care, but I do not accept that, I, that we should just allow this. It is so troubling to me that we are telling people that you cannot get better because if that was the truth if that was the truth i would not be sitting here if my doctors offered me made and two between a 09 to 14 peace homies i'm out see you on the next rainbow i do not accept this shit because all it takes is one person to pull you out of that darkness and say, I got you. I had that. A lot of our friends don't. And that's why we're seeing 44 suicides a day. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. But Canada has killed 10,018 patients since 2016. Canada has taken off the face of the earth 10 times more people in the past handful of years with the Trudeau government than we've ever done. So tell me, are we on a slippery slope? Is there something I'm missing here? What am I not getting? Because I know for a fact in the DMs, the next thing I'm gonna get is, 
but Kelsey, what if people choose that? You're taking people's rights away from them. No, 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 no. I'm here to protect you and tell you that there is a way out of depression. There is a way out of MDD. There is a way out of mental health disorders and pain in your life. There is a way out, but we need to be given the tools to do that. Not the fucking gun to pull to our own heads. Like, can you imagine the doctors that are having to do this or are accepting that they're gonna go and take lives from people who are just going through depression? What is their conscience going to be like? We are invoking trauma on others by thinking it is the solution. It is not the solution. Last time this happened was 1941. That's when we started getting rid of, and by we, I mean, over in Europe, they started getting rid of any soldier that had shell shock, any soldier that lost limbs. Any soldier that could not fight, they decided, ah, fuck it, let's kill them. They're more trouble to look after. They're more money to pay than they are to help. They're not going to be productive parts of society. They can't hold a gun anymore. We don't need them anymore. We took them and we used them for what we needed. Because they're a number, we're going to throw them out. We do this to human beings as if every single life on this planet isn't special. And it is. It's so, we are so lucky to be born in this world. So why are we allowing governments and individuals to tell us that we don't get the right to fucking live in it anymore? Sorry, you're depressed. Here's a gun. Sorry, you're not feeling well today. There's no way out. Take this pill. I'm sorry that you are having a rough year because your husband passed away. You know what'll make it better? Why don't you go join him? I do not accept this. I do not accept this. And I refuse to accept this. And every other one of you who are listening, most of you are American. Start paying attention because your fucking hat is on fire. And when Canada burns, that trickles down to America and it's happening and we're seeing it. Forget who's in charge. Don't even talk about left or right. Any human being that's in a position of power, if they say to you, there's a better way out and we will help provide that for you run the other direction and start screaming because when we start killing our own citizens that's when we know things have gone too far so right absolutely right i'm sorry i i just you know the one thing people say to me is like, nobody wants to listen to the over-emotional woman scream about things. But at what point do we start to look at the severity of these and go, it's okay to be emotional. It's okay. It's okay to talk about it, that it's not okay to kill people. It's just not. And I'm never going to sit there and say, it's fine. And I'll be, I'll never be calm about it. And if you're calmly sitting there going, well, you're just an irrational woman, then you haven't been offered to be killed by your own government yet. Give it time. Your time is coming. So yeah. let's move right into it. <laughs> let's move right into it. I got a phone call. I got a phone call about you. But before I even got a phone call about you, I was doing a live on Instagram one day with a friend of mine called the Walrus Whisperer, Phil Demir. He is the whistleblower from Marine Land. He is the reason why Marine Land is going bankrupt. He is the reason he has used his voice to make change 
and he is a powerful person. And we were doing a live one day and our mutual friend, Mark jumped on and goes, I have an email for you. Check your email right now. So during the live, I read it out loud. And it was that there was an audio recording of a veteran, a combat veteran being offered medically assisted and dying instead of treatment for a TBI. It blew my mind. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And then I started talking to that veteran and I realized it was true. And then I got another phone call about two weeks ago and he goes, listen to this episode. This is a, this is a lady you need to know. She's also been offered medical assisted in dying. So can you tell me how we got to where we are right now? At what point did you start reaching out for help? And at what point did they decide that it would be easier to kill you? Well, in fact, since I've been a veteran since 1998, we all know how strenuous it is to, to navigate through the system. Mm -hmm. I've always, regardless what I've happened to me in my life, I've always respected the, the chain of command, the, 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 the system, the way to do things. I have always done things as they asked and required. I um so since 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 the beginning also because of you know before, we need to say that there's a, a march into this as well. Mm -hmm. I mean I've been put on so many drugs for so long, being supposedly treated in pain management clinic, being so fucking out of it that I am sleeping with my gun under my pillow, freaking out through any little voice, noise, or, or thing moving. My spouse freaking out as well because he doesn't know when I'm going to just blow up at, at any point. Being so drugged up that I was falling literally everywhere, but you're so induced in those meds that, you know, I just kept injuring myself more, but I was drugged up. So life was wonderful and you, I had no recognition or no feeling of it. It was just a circle going around and around until, you know, it was like I had no more life either. It was just being completely drugged up, unable to, to, to do anything anyway. And I've realized one day that this can't go on. Right. I mean, this is not living either. You're either just put on so many medication. I couldn't drive, I couldn't go out, I couldn't see anyone, I was isolated. And that lasted almost 10 years until I decided one day, this is it. I can't go on with this anymore. Said, well, you need to stay on this med protocol. Otherwise I'm not treating you anymore. Well, then fuck it, don't. And I've taken myself off of all these meds. Really? And I started, yes, I started feeling more pain again, but at least I'm feeling something. And I was able to start driving my car somewhere again, seeing friends, intervening. I had to learn to control and live within the respect and limit of what I could do. Mm -hmm. 
but it was at least fucking feeling something and living. So, you know, through all this, I was writing all the time about the equipment, the need I had, and more assistance. It's been a fucking hell fight since, since. I have so many letters written to all of them and so many stupid comments too along the way, Kelsey, that when this came about, that, that one about this offering, you know, made is the English word for it. It's not, we don't, mm -hmm. I mean, I, there's no, that's not that acronym for, for uh, in French, but. Quoi en français? All through, by l'aide médicale à mourir. Okay. So maybe aid medical, um, a maybe I don't know. I don't know if there's an acronym. It's just you know, you say? maybe you can create it. Aid medical, um, movie. Yeah, oh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, it, it just never was an, an acronym for it in oui. French. It was just always uh... so. All through these years, because I was so out of it too, spaced out. They call you. They tell you everything on the phone. Make sure there's no trace. Mm -hmm. So I started writing up most of what uh, the conversations we have in those Canada books, mm -hmm. because at least, you know, it, they're always date by date. It's not just an email either that you can just lose, erase and no trace. And so with these books, you know, everything is, is written down and I try to maintain um, all the time, but it happens, it happens that, you know, I'm so, such in a bad down spree that mm -hmm. some of them, but I would say most of the conversation are, are all noted in there. So through the years, I, I've tried to, in fact, I was actually trying to also, I've asked to meet with the minister so many, so many times and everything to to not it's not just about bitching it was really with the intention i can tell you how bad it is and i want to show you how bad it is so we can yeah. make it better right but no they don't want to fucking know and they don't want to listen how how could i have been and even i come back with even if i have a bad karma and i slip under the the, the, the between the cracks for 24 years yeah You've literally buried my file each time because I have so many letters and notes and proof that mm. I have contacted you and you have done nothing. So be, it's because you didn't want to at this point. I mean, I cannot be that unlucky. No, you're it's not. It's impossible. Nobody no. can be like, you no. know, as much as I want to say and try to put it on it, it may happen. It can happen once or twice, but not for 24 years. Yeah. It's impossible. So through that time, yes, when the system was that we had a caseworker working with us, they knew us, they knew what we needed, they met with us, mm -hmm. it was definitely better. And luckily I've had, had along the way, at some time, some point, some, Again, I will say good hearted people that yes. really wanted to help, but they became, their ends became tied to through this new system with Blue Cross. As soon as they implicated Blue Cross and we had to 
double up our efforts for the same one service, yeah, it became impossible to 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 have the services. And now they want to do this with yet another company where it's going to divide again in four. Well, they already are. So let me let me yes. just walk this back. Let me state this very clearly. Not every case manager at Veterans Affairs Canada is out of touch. I've been fortunate enough to have two case managers who have showed up for me and fought for me. And that's because mainly my doctor scares Veterans Affairs to death because he knows what he's doing. That being said, Veterans Affairs in the past handful of years has farmed out most of the veteran care to an insurance company called Manulife Insurance and Blue Cross. And now there is a third party coming in who has won the contract. I was on the phone with my case manager yesterday. They have won the contract starting in January and they are going to handle outreach and your case manager is going to handle your individualized care. And then they will handle anything that's overflow. The problem with this is you're fragmenting a system where individuals already are having a hard enough time with their caseload and keeping up with the veterans. Couple that with two years of COVID where veterans affairs individual case managers were not allowed to come and check on their patients or their people that are in their care. And when that happens, people slip, they slip through the cracks, they slip fast. And when you don't have a case manager who is paying attention, that's where things like care, over-medicating somebody, people who need extra help and support, that's where things start to fall. If you are on the VOC rehab program with Veterans Affairs Canada, you then most likely will fall under, how it works is when you're doing VOC rehab, you'll most likely fall under Manulife Insurance. I got taken away from Manulife because Manulife Insurance sent a PI to follow me around for five days during COVID to prove that I was well enough to be functioning. Can you tell me a more dangerous situation for a civilian to be following a combat veteran with PTSD around? Tell me where that's going to go well. It takes one person to make a wrong move, to come up behind somebody they shouldn't be following, and bad things will happen. And then it will be on that veteran, not them. They won't be held accountable, but that veteran will be held accountable, right? For protecting themselves. So Veterans Affairs Canada has fragmented itself so many different ways because the government of Canada does not want to fund Veterans Affairs properly. And the current Veterans Affairs minister has lied through his teeth under oath multiple times in the past month when it comes to this MAID program. You testified, if I'm not mistaken, at the at the most recent, um, at, what are they even calling that? Inquiry? Nope. It was a commission. They called the okay. Commission of Veterans Affairs, the Permanent Commission of Veterans Affairs. But when I was there, it was supposed, and I was warned before I, when I was invited to go to speak there, I thought it was going to be about the situation that I'm mm-hmm. living in the past five years. Uh, just put in context, as I was saying before, it's been hard with Veterans Affairs since beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. I I still have claims because you know how it is Kelsey with the system when they first uh, put in my my claims when the army helped me and put the claims in first they put two knees finished you know (laughs) completely Mm -hmm. 
Well, it's not this way it works with Veterans Affairs. So when they accepted my claim in 1996, I wasn't going to be under their coverage until 1998 when I released. And when they taken that in 1998, they advised me at this point, oh, well, your claims were not done improperly. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't just accept your needs. You need to describe every single part of the needs. So it, you had to redo, refile the claim for the, the, the kneecaps, the menaces, the ligaments, the, mm -hmm. oh my God, talk about jamming a system. Mm -hmm. Of course, it takes years and years to process each of these. Upwards of 48 items. months, 48 months right now. And yeah. they're turning claims down. For example, myself and a handful of people have had their hearing claims turned down because they say it's not service related. Let me preface this by saying I was an artillery gunner shooting one of the biggest and loudest rounds that goes downrange with no hearing protection. How can somebody sit there and truly say these things to people with a straight face? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they said that I my earring loss was as a, I'm, a, I'm a gunner as well. So my yeah. my earring loss was in the eye pitches that yeah that it's not. Uh, damaging my hearing person <laughs> to person. So you're admitting to having ear loss, yeah. but it's not severe enough in your, uh, but you know, like, you know, what these alarms on watches. Yeah. So I don't hear those. <laughs> yeah. I am the same. And, and it's funny because it still works. My alarm still works if there's someone around because everybody keeps saying, what's this ringing? And I go, oh, that must be because this is my pill time <laughs> alarm. So it's when I have to take my meds. And if I'm by myself, I just so many times go pass by. But if someone is there, yeah, someone will go, what's this noise? What's this alarm? Oh, okay, <laughs> it's my alarm. So, but yes, you know, just the cases so are... I have, I have about, I would say, three quarters of the condition that were first put into the refiling of my claim has not yet been addressed. It's been decades. In 20, in 24 years. Oh my God. Okay, they have not yet been addressed because my condition is severe and so severe that what is, I've already reached out 137%. Mm -hmm. So you know how they yeah. come and they you've reached 100%. There's no, uh, you're not going to get any money above the 100% disability, which I agree. I agree there has to be a limit. There right. has to be a system. It's got to have, you know, I, there's no, there's no need. I don't need to be getting $40,000 a month. What am I going right. to do? Like buy a car every fucking month? You know, it's not the point. It's not the purpose. And that's not what I'm asking for either. Right. But out of principle as well, there is no way and reason why I need to pay for the wheelchair I need to use to right. access my house, right. to be able to go in and get myself from point A to point B. Right. I will not pay for any of this. I'm not asking ever for extra 
even though, you know, some people will say, well, you're allowed to go on vacationing and be able to go. Yes, but I'm not even going that far. Right. I'm asking to just be able to live in a normal life, be able to access the backyard because right. I have a service dogs that needs right. to go and poo and I need to go and pick it up. It helps right. me, but I have to fucking serve this service around this dog as well for that mean. Mm-hmm. Is it normal that I can at least do that? You know, right. I need to come in my building, my house. It's been five years that I'm crawling on the floor to get in my house because it's been five years for renewal of equipment because I had an elevator at my old house. Mm -hmm. It was supposed to be moved. It wasn't possible because of the the difference in height. Mm -hmm. It's been five years that it's under investigation with Veterans Affairs for a renewal of equipment. That's disgusting. It took 18 years for Veteran Affairs to accept to pay for a second set of wheels for my wheelchair. A winter fucking set of tire. It took 18 years. Okay? It is in it's unbelievable. So at what point let's let's move forward to yeah. So when they asked me to come December first to speak at this um at this committee mm-hmm. about the new contract, the subcontract, that was the subject. Uh, and I was told that, you know, I need to, I have five minutes to speak. And I'm like, wow, I need to cram 34 years in five minutes. This is unreal. Mm-hmm. They, they asked me to come at the committee on the Monday, Monday, uh, what it was, mon- November 27th, I think. Yeah. Or 26th. And I was to speak on December 1st. So I had three days warning. And they warned to me, uh, we're telling you the subject is the subcommittee. We will try to slime in your your issues with the mm-hmm. elevator and everything you need. But this is the subject. We're going to be brought back to order by the chairman if we're slipping off too much of the subject. Right. Okay, so fine, I get to this. And at this conference or at this commission, another witness brought up the maid. Yeah. And, Mark. Yeah. Um, was it Mark? The Mark, was, Mark we know? Yeah. He's, he was speaking, he was the one speaking on the, on the camera? I know, I don't, I believe so, yeah. He, uh, he messaged me, he said, hey, this is going to be live. He's going to bring up Maid. I have to check it because I wrote their name, so. I yeah, I might, be, I might be wrong. If there's somebody else I, that was speaking, I don't know. I know Mark was speaking. Yeah. He sent me the link that it was going live. Um, okay. So here's what I think they did. I think that they, it was a clown court. It was a show. It was uh here, look, we're going to try to look like we're doing something. We're not actually going to have anything come out of it, but we're going to be able to say on the books that we've done a committee. We've looked at this. We've done Ooh. our due diligence, right? That's what that yeah. was. It was a clown court. It was all pretend just like yeah, everything else but, has been the past couple of years. Yeah. But I, as it was really interesting to hear that apparently just for this sub for this new contract, mm-hmm. this subcontract, apparently they had over one hundred meeting on this, but 
neither VAC employees, Veterans Affairs mm -hmm. employees, caseworkers, uh, any uh, occupational therapists working through mm -hmm. with the veterans, legions, uh, Nobody. none of them were aware and were invited to those 100 meetings and so before awarded this, this subcontract. It is completely ridiculous. And I didn't even hear about, I didn't even know about it until that week either, okay? Same as when they asked me for to come and speak on this mm -hmm. subject of the subcontract, which like I say, I, I, I wasn't aware of it either until that week. So I have right. checked on backgrounds research for it before my, for my testimony. And that's when also, they were at the bottom of the research that I made. They were um, also on the subject read about made. Mm -hmm. So I've printed that sheet off as well. And you give me a second. I'll go get yeah. the document and show you. Give me one second. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to ramble on while you do that. So made was brought uh, forward for those who are not familiar. Medical assistant in dying is a word you're hearing thrown around throughout this episode, but you're also hearing it thrown around uh, in the media right now. MAID is something that's coming through with Canadians um, that can be offered officially in March of 2023. And during the current administration, they have also made it so that for the first time ever, you can utilize MAID for, for more than just terminally ill patients. You can use it for mentally ill patients, which is despicable and disgusting. If you understand anything about mental health, you'll understand that there are ways to get better and suicide has never and never will be the option. There is a doctor named Dr. Greg Passy. He has been treating me since 2011. He was the first doctor to do research in PTSD on Rwanda veterans, himself being uh, served in Rwanda and Bosnia. He's been a psychiatrist for 42 years. And in that time frame, treating veterans, he has never had a patient die by suicide. When I spoke to him about the MAID program, he was blown away because he said, they've been paying me to keep these veterans alive. And now all the work that we've done, you're just going to eliminate and say there's an easy way out. I refuse to accept this. So made is a real thing. So you see it on the bottom of the sheet. What happens then? So as I printed those, the, the papers, as I have here, I printed mm. these to get ready for the conference. And I see this one about the aid offered. Yeah. It's the first time. And if you look in the bottom of my page, Let's see. I don't know if you see it. Yeah, there the you date. go. Yep. Okay. 2022, well, 11, 20 something. Yeah. November 25th, 2022. Right. So this is when I printed this the first time and mm -hmm. heard about this the first time. And as I wrote on top, I don't know if you see it. Yeah. Translate. <laughs> so as I'm, because this is part of like with all my notes and everything that I always take and like these books, as I told you before, I have all these Canada books. In which You're a prepared individual. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> so on this spreadsheet that I I I I've printed, and I I read this article, 
and like I say again, November 25th, 2022, I read this for the first time that they are four veterans. They bring up the, the four veterans that were offered this. And I write on top. They say they, four veterans were offered in that? On this, on this here, they say so, four veterans were offered. So they've been, okay, so hold on. They dismantled, they sent that out and they have stated four veterans have been offered made. You're being one of them. So no, I wasn't at the time. At the time you weren't. So they're telling, so they're saying here that maid was offered to four veterans. Okay. Yes. As early as two to three weeks ago, the minister of veterans affairs went on to the West block with Mercedes Stevenson and said, there's only been one veteran. Yes, I agree. This is an article from La Presse, from the newspaper. Wait. Okay. And this is why that when I was there that day on December 1st, um, as the witness brought up this subject mm. and then they started in the commission speaking of how in fact as you just said that the, the minister were coming above stating well you know there are four allegations but there is just that one case that we know about I didn't even know there were going to be that subject there but as they were going on with this, I had to raise my hand and said, well, I'm sorry. But I also was told that. And I will say what exactly it was. It wasn't French. Grant mm -hmm. me this. I can say it in French as yeah, it go happened. Ahead. And I can repeat it in English after in my translation because it has been twisted, unfortunately, in some of the news. Shocker. It was actually translated wrongly by the translator at that commission because uh the the minister uh blake um blake yeah. richard sent me the link of the monday the next monday's conference with the minister and they they passed my my testimony in review mm -hmm. and you had this this little um instrument that when you were speaking you could either have the translator mm -hmm. translate the what the the witness was saying. Okay, you had the option. If you keep it on one, you, know, you speak in English, it will be translated in French or vice versa, or keep it as it is from each witnesses. Right. So, and that's what the option I took. I rather I speak enough. So like, yes, I have a big accent, but I understand and speak yep. enough English that I'd rather hear it straight out as it is and not have a translation. So. I didn't hear the translator translator words until mm. the next Monday because she already there made the mistake of switching my words. So what have I been during one time that I was on conversation with an agent stating that this this can go on? It was I was really down in a hole. It had to stop. I couldn't keep crawling the way I am to get to my house. I'm injuring myself all the time with all the transfers I have to make. It, I need to stop, move on. I just keep can't go on anymore. And the person said, you know, Mme Gauthier, if si vous êtes tellement, vous pouvez vraiment plus, vous êtes vraiment plus capable. Vous savez que vous avez le droit à l'aide médicale à mourir. So to say in English, my translation to it, 
the guy said, you know, if you really can't go on, you're that desperate, you're that fed up with everything, you know you have the right to die. Okay? So this is how it was told to me. It was presented to you. Yes. That's how, what it was said and, and presented. And I, I remember when he said that, I went like, I was completely in shock. And the only thing that came, it was like, seriously, like, really, you're, you're not going to help me live with the equipment I need, but you're going to help me die? And this was a male that offered it to you, right? Yes. So now we know and for sure. From there. Sorry. No, no, it's okay. Take your time. From there. I have written in July 2021, the July 9th, 2021. I wrote a letter to Trudeau and to Minister McCauley in stating again everything that is still not being done in my file and i need this equipment so i can stop being injured and being mm -hmm. able to move on and i wrote in that letter um this is ridiculous how you will not provide the equipment for me to live but you will you know it, if that case then let me find the letter when was this that they called you and offered you this it was in 2019, 2020. Holy Jesus. So in 2019, yeah. you had a person, a male on the phone, offer you assisted dying. Well, when we know for a fact. 2019 and 2020. I've had that since. Okay. But this person, I need to say, is, um, is a key, has a key role mm -hmm. into my file. Mm -hmm. I have discussed not mentioning the name, but I have told my psychiatrist, psychologist about that. I, you know, as it was going. I have written this letter in 2021. Yeah. So this is why when I, I made my testimony and I, I have said, no, no, I'm sorry, but I also was mm -hmm. mentioned and I have written but I did not call and say, well, this guy just said that because as I, as I say, since 24 years, this was another fucking stupid comment right. in one of the worst moments right. coming from a key person who has the key role in my file. Right. And as I wanted to write especially about his name and everything in St. Tom's hospital, they told me, you know, we're dealing with this person day in, day out, daily. This guy, your caseworker has been offering me. So he was not my caseworker. He's a person with a key role. Okay. But do you want to say his name now? Not, not right now. Okay. Because I just want me to make sure that it isn't there and because so, I'm, I'm looking. So you're telling me though, that other hospitals know of this individual, this individual has been doing this so much. I don't know. Other... No, no, Kelsey, I cannot, I cannot admit to this because I don't know. 
I don't okay. know that much. I didn't even know until December mm. 1st or until November 25th when I printed this. Right. I didn't even know there were other cases. I right. just thought, I just stupid thought, comment. you know, yeah, no, no, I, yes, to me, mm-hmm. I just thought I was the only one and it was just another comment. Like I say, since the beginning, though, in the past 24 years. They, it there... was, uh, you know, you should be lucky you've had these services and be, be lucky and thankful you have that. So you thought it was an off the cuff comment. You thought it was just oh, like, I, yes. oh, somebody's saying something stupid that's uneducated. But we yes. didn't realize how sinister this actually was. No, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know right. they were the one until November 25th when I wrote this article. And certainly not either until in December 1st, they brought it up in their stating well, it was four allegations, but really they're just one case. I, I'm sorry, like I say, and it has been misprinted in the yep. newspaper. They did not tell me we're going to provide the equipment and the doctor to do it. No, 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 no. I wrote in my letter mm-hmm. how crazy that you will not provide me with the equipment I need to live. Right. But then you come and help me die. Because... Yeah. And in my books, there are two other conversations with two other persons where I brought this up. Mm-hmm. Because like I say, Kelsey, along the way, I'm still <laughs> trying to get the equipment and the service I still need. Right. In within, so I was told to kind of be cautious. Yeah, you can be cautious. You can say whatever you you don't have to say anyone's names. That's totally fine. I'll say them. For no, you. no, not not now. But I mean, oh, as when it happened, it was like three. Oh. This was so, cautious. But so, like I say, in within the twenty years, though, as I was saying, you know, they were. You better be lucky. You have you, you consider yourself lucky with what you have, and be mm-hmm. be um, appreciative of that. Right. Um, you'd be lucky you had it that long because right. re- from day one, as my condition was already at over 100%, mm-hmm. I fought to maintain um, medical coverage, which I have won from, with, the, with the lawyer back in, tw- right. in 2000. They tried to get this away from me. I gained it. I won it again with, through the, the different... Mm-hmm. Um, levels of yep. the commissions from back in 2001 they tried to pull it again from me I won it with a letter from Minister Pactakan in 2003 and they are still again getting it away from me at this point so it was like you should be lucky you had that long oh, so for the okay. listeners who aren't understanding what she's fully breaking down let me let me make it a little bit clearer for you in veterans affairs with Canada. Um, if you were a veteran and you need support, whether it's medical, physical, whatever it is, every single year, you have to prove it. They make you prove it with doctor's appointments, with paperwork. They make you prove it. I know personally, somebody who has had his legs blown off and he has to prove every single year why he still needs support for his prosthetics. Canada makes you prove it. It is like, uh, they do not give you the benefit of the doubt. They can see everything on your record. That should be more than enough, but every year you have to prove it. Our veterans are being made to prove things that are 
incredibly obvious and easy to see that they need care and support with. Not every veteran is obvious, but if you could get into their files the way these case managers do, you can see. You don't need to ask the veteran every year. You can see it. Absolutely. So you know, we got scans, x-rays, MRIs report. Yeah. They're all stadium. So come on, you know. So you had the one gentleman off the cuff, you know, hey, we can help you die. Okay. So we know it was a male with yours. No, not we can help you. Kelsey, I want to make sure you, I told okay. you before I'm a very. Yeah, yeah, no, go ahead. Correct me. It was not we can make you die. It was yes. like, you know, you have the right to die. You have the right to die. You have the yes. right to die. So a male said to you, you have the right to die. So now yes. right there between that statement and the other statements we have of the individuals on audio recording, the minister, we've just proven that he has lied by stating it was only one caseworker who brought this up. When we have proof, but it was a female named Wendy offered it to our friend on the one side and yours was a male. There by yeah. definition means he lied under oath in testimony and he knows it. Well, also uh, what um, what Blake Richards had brought up at that meeting is I had given them copy December 1st in that room that same day yeah. of the letter I had sent in July 21st. Yeah. And apparently their investigation and these allegations and this one case, he says that it only came upon in 2022, in the summer of 2022. Lies. He now afterwards claims, like that Monday after, so that was December uh, December 5th, I guess Monday, December 5th, that they yep. had another commission. Right. And... Then that's when they basically came, he came out and called me basically a liar. Yeah. Stating that they had made four, they had in, in, um, checked over 400,000 files. And never found and it. Never had any other proofs. I have been writing to you guys for 24 years and never, I have not been contacted about this investigation. And I write this letter in 2021 for which I get an answer back from the office of Trudeau and the office of Macaulay. Of course, they don't write anything about it, but none of mm -hmm. the other, they always just come back with, well, you know, we're really sorry about what you're living. Yeah. And, but the rules and relegation of veterans affairs are yeah. such and such and such. Hey, come on, you know? Yeah. But yeah. what is funny is Macaulay claims that he had never heard from me. There's no sign or anything of me at their office. But yet no, I get an proof. answer from your office. Even Trudeau's office letter states in the letter that oh. from the letter, they write to me in response of your letter, Trudeau, Mr. Trudeau is very, uh, he cannot answer and cannot take part in a personal case of a veteran. But we can see that you have also contacted Minister of Defense and Minister of Veterans Affairs, and we are confident that the mystery will uh, address the improper way the situation. Yeah. But yet he came on December 5th stating that he has checked into my file and there is no mention of any of that. 
Come on, let's see. It's right in that letter. Louise, you say okay. the problem, yes, you know, I, Trudeau will I, make time to sit with the terrorists that got $10 million out of the veteran fund and killed multiple special operators in the Americas. He'll sit with him. He'll take time for him. He will take time for somebody who quite literally sued the Canadian government after he beheaded multiple special operators and won $10 million that came from Canadian taxpayers. He'll sit with him but he will not take time for you. A Canadian veteran who has served your country honorably went through the proper chains of command and did everything that you were supposed to do. He won't take time for you, but he'll take time for a convicted terrorist. But he did take time for me once. Oh, look, he took a photo with you during the Invictus games. No, that was, was that during the Olympics, uh, the parades after the, Olymp the, Par the Paralympics. So there's times that where we go within the chamber and they all congratulate us and give us a hand, which is fine, but they have no time for me as a veteran though. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I'm not taking away from what I've done, you know, at the Invictus game and at the Paralympics or on the 10 years as an athlete, because it was, my God, it had pulled me out of a major deep hole i was very happy that i could represent canada in another way and in yeah you know it was an opportunity that arise i never dreamed i would be able to do this it was an opportunity that that, that came along i never say no to any yep. anything i always say yes to everything right i try to to accomplish this you know, I was so happy I could exercise and train again. Right. And you and had a community again. Even more happy that it served Canada well and right in, by winning five world championships within those nine years. But still, not taking away anything of the effort that it cost and what it made for us to do this, it is still just a kayak race compared to what the yeah. soldiers are given, you know, compared to my military life, yeah. it was still just a kayak race. I had more personal reward of being able to exercise yeah. and the training than the wind. I was happy that it was my national anthem and my flag flying up there. Mm -hmm. But it's still just a kayak race at the end of the day, you know? Yeah. And it saddens me. It, it was really torn, turning at the time. And also, I'd like for people to understand, because when they come to this and say, well, wow, you were able to be an athlete. Yes. But I was able to do it because there were people around helping me. Again, people. Okay? I don't have the resources to train on my own. Right. While I was doing this with the national team, I had coaches, trainers. They were there to help me. My husband was lifting me out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Getting me massage, getting me mobile to be able to drive me mm -hmm. to the, 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 the train uh, facility. Mm 
Yeah. Then my coach would take me, transfer me into the boat, send off. I paddle. Yes, I yes. paddle. Then they'd come back. They would take, take me out of the boat, put me back in my chair, get right. me back in my car, drive me back home for my husband to pull me out of the car again, put right. me in the shower, wash me off, put me to bed, feed me so I could go and do another training session in the afternoon at the end of the day. Right. Okay. Without those people, I would not have been able to do any of it. And this is what is wrong again with all this picture. Invest this game, same thing. Awesome opportunity. But my, my case, my personal uh, mm -hmm. situation, I, if I don't have these platforms and this, yeah people helping during that time there's no way i can do it now yeah. i can't even get out of my house how do you expect me to be able to train i need someone to hold the chair as i'm trying to pull on on the yeah. banner on the weight without help i cannot get to the end of the, the day the only way all of this was possible was because of other people that's right. And it goes back to everything we said at the beginning and, and no one's going to say anything. Yeah. You were an athlete. You, you were given support. That's why you're able to succeed. But this is what yes. happens when they stop caring. This is what happens when people stop supporting. They don't think of long-term. They think of what's, what's going to be good for them. What's going to make them look good in that moment. But when exactly. you're done, just like the military, when they're done with you, they leave you. Yes, and this and is what's happened each time. Every single time that I fall back in this hole, yeah, it is that much. Each time it's harder to be able to dig herself back out of it. Yeah, and a lot of times, Kelsey, I think to myself, I would have rather that first ten years that. First time after I left, I released from the army, I'd rather you had left me in that fucking hole. I was somehow stable at that time. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, isolated already. It was done, but it was stable. Right. Each time that I was given again, this temporary help yeah. and, and support to, to pull myself out. Yeah. And forgotten again and dropped down again into this dipshit hole. Yeah. It is so much harder each time to try to pull myself out of it every single time after. But the difference and, is no one's going to leave you again. No one's leaving you again. You've got a community now that knows what's going on. The more you speak, the more dangerous you are. You have something right now that most men, most women don't have the balls to come out and say, you were wronged. You have proof of it. You can burn this entire thing down. You're a terrifying individual to those people right now. You need to act accordingly, miss. You are so much stronger then you realize the position you're in right now, you hold all the cards. 
every well, single one. I just want to do what's right. There's, like I said, unfortunately, you know, I, I blame myself for not being more connected and not watching. But yes, like you say, watching the news is so fucking depressing. It's and, so bad for your so mind. And so negative all the time that yeah. I, I I don't listen to most of the time. The news, I, I, I need to cut myself from that. To, you know, it, it, it's yeah. devastating when you're already in that state. So it's, I, 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 you know, I find that if I had been more connected before, maybe I would have known about it before and would right. have stepped up before, but I didn't know until then that there were others. And well, now it, we know it, it has to stop. It has to stop. Yeah. And it only stops by people like you speaking out. It only stops by, by putting a face to this. It only stops by you saying your truth. And that's what scares the living hell out of them. And it should. Yes. Because you're not afraid of them. No, I, I, uh, no, I am, I am an open book. I have no secret. Yeah. The only thing, after everything I have been through in my life, the only thing that I ever had that I knew would be mine and I would cherish this and maintain it is my name, my name and my reputation. Yeah. And I will not yeah. let, they have ripped me of everything. I've already lost my, my physical mm -hmm. condition, my mental, emotional, through these years with all this, they're, they're, like I said, all these other stupid comments over the years, yeah. they have ripped me from any little bit of dignity I could have left, but they will not take my name and my reputation. I'm sorry, but no. I have nothing to hide. You're, no, you're come a on, I, woman. They will not take me down either. Like I will not allow them well, to keep doing this to 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 the to all veterans. It is nonsense. Well, I got to be honest. I've some of the other people I know that this has happened to. They don't want to even say their name. They're too afraid. Sometimes. <laughs> And it's been the case in a lot of ways. And I'm sorry to the 76% of you males that are listening. Sometimes it takes a really fucking powerful, dangerous woman to get things done. And that's exactly who you are. And that's exactly why you went through the hell that you went through. Because we needed somebody that was going to stand up in a way that no one else would. And you're doing that with your name and your reputation because of who you are. That's why people are paying attention to you. That's why people care because you finally had the balls to do what no one else did and say, you're lying. You're offering this to us and you're killing my brothers and sisters. And I'm no longer going to accept or allow this to happen. I am truly from the bottom of my heart I'm so sorry that the things that have happened to you in your life, I'm deeply, deeply sorry that another veteran had to go through what you had to go through and that you slipped through the cracks in the way that you did, but you paved the way 
I feel a deep connection to you because you paved the way for me to do what I loved. You showed men that we belong. You showed a community that we are just as strong. And you showed an entire nation that if you put women in the jobs that we deserve to be in, we can show the fuck up and we can support just like any other soldier can, except now you're doing it in a different way. I know people have said, I'm sorry this has happened to you and that this has been your life. But if nobody has ever sat down, looked you in the eyes and told you that we love you, you are better here and that we're so fucking grateful that you have stayed with us. I am so grateful for you on this earth. And I am so grateful that you have stayed with us, regardless of their attempts to make it so that you couldn't because you were stronger than them. And it is obvious. And that's why you are so dangerous. And I am eternally grateful for you and your presence as a Canadian Armed Forces member, as a veteran, as a female, as a leader, as a professional athlete, as the woman that is willing to speak out when no one else will, I am grateful and I am thankful for you. Thank you, Kelsey. It's really touching me. But again, I had people along the way to help me. I would not have been able to do it alone if those people would not have supported me in the darkest ever moment. People in St. John's Hospital, I'm lucky I live close to St. John's Hospital. Another thing that they took in away from the veteran, there's still people there helping us through this and without their help in the past five years, for sure I would not have been able to handle all of this. It takes so a I, I wish to thank all the people that have helped me along the way. And I think that, it, you know, we need to connect from east to west mm -hmm. and stand strong again, as we always have. And but we will. Definitely, even more now, we need to, to stay unified and, and fight this. It is a, a bit pandemic that we need to fight, not the COVID, but this, this government now with what they're doing to us. And I'm so grateful that you have been willing to sound the alarm because it's one thing to have a veteran who wants to say it happened. And to you, uh, the individual, you know who I'm speaking of. I'm proud of the braveness that you, that you showed in coming forward to our friends so that we could leak this so that others could realize they're not alone. But for you, for giving a face to this, and not only a face, a fucking professional athlete, an Olympian, an Invictus Games, a world champion. If they're willing to do it to you, who else are they willing to do it to? Right? Mm -hmm. Oh, my darling. I have to say, you know, I never I understand either. Like I said earlier, maybe like as I'm trying to make sense of all of this, when I started paddling in 2008, I had never been in a kayak in my life ever fortunately enough as i say that i discovered this 
it brought me so much the sense of of freedom that I felt being on the water after being in a wheelchair so long. It was the first time in a long time I could feel this this peace and this serenity. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it worked out that I could give back and not to that I was strong enough that I was good enough that it had given um, to Canada the, the 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 medals that it did and that I could serve again this way. I didn't understand. Like I said, I had not planned on this to happen. It just did. Of course, I've worked really hard. We've my husband and I. We've um, my, that that's all we did for 10 years we haven't been co- disconnected from anything or anyone else mm. as I said you know I that is all I was able to do was paddle nothing else in between even you know not being even able to to, to bath myself he was doing all of that so mm-hmm. without amazing people around me and was it all from to lead to this world. If it is, it is though. But I'm not backing down for sure from anything because this is the fruit and it needs to be be coming out now. Well, I know if you're listening to this, I know soon enough, Holly McKay is going to crack this open as well. There's some other individuals paying attention who are writing about this. Um, We passed her info off to her. She should be in touch. but at, we've been we have been already isn't she wonderful yes absolutely so it's uh this isn't stopping this is only going to keep going and we're going to follow you we're going to have you on for updates we're going to be in your corner and we are right behind you and we are holding you up in every way that you you can imagine our community is here to protect you and to make you know that you are never alone And that moving forward, you will never be alone again. Thank you. All right, everyone. Um, If you want to help Christine uh, with anything, reach out to us, shoot us an email. If you have anything you'd like to offer her, uh, whether it's just support, uh, anything that she can help with physicality, getting wheelchairs, anything like that, make sure to info uh, Grass and Unity and email us and we will make sure to get her everything that she needs. Um, she does not have a social, which is probably for the best at this point. And, um, but we will make sure to get you in touch. If you want to reach out to her, we will uh, have that conversation and uh, get things moving forward, but everyone else, this is the reality. You may not like what you just heard. It may have been heart wrenching and heartbreaking, but this is where we are, are at in 2022. If you don't like it, you need to start making noise because we can't do this alone. I am eternally grateful for you being on this week's episode and uh, everyone else. We'll see you all next week.